Chapter Dark Assassins Part 1 It was a beautiful cloudless day in Bermuda as the ship pulled into port. The turquoise water, numerous beaches, and endless tourist shops beckoned many passengers from the ship. Lisa wanted to take advantage of the island with Sean but inexplicably found the Beckmans attached to them whenever they left their room. However, Sean didn't seem to mind. For some strange reason, he enjoyed their company. Together, the two couples left the ship and found a cute little cafe to quiet their noisy stomachs. After lunch, they decided to hit several of the tourist souvenir stores and visit some of the picturesque locations before reporting. As Cal and Sean walked ahead talking about stocks, bonds, and other financial options, Lisa and Catherine followed quietly, occasionally glancing at store windows. Neither knew how to start a conversation to overcome the seemingly insurmountable gulf between them. They passed a fashion boutique and paused to look at some exotic dresses. That's a nice one, said Lisa, pointing to a flowery dress full of yellow, pink, and white flowers. She envisioned herself wearing the dress with a nice white bonnet, white sandals, and a coach purse. Yeah, I guess, Catherine responded. Lisa looked at Catherine. What? Don't you like it? Well, if you like it, that's fine with me. What am I doing? Catherine thought. She was supposed to get close to Lisa, ask her about her salvation, and draw her away from Sean for at least 10 minutes. But instead, she was allowing her nervousness get the better of her. She had to get over this feeling and do her job. So much depended on it. She continued before Lisa could respond. It's a little too loose for me, she said. I like to. Well, show what I got. That should be good enough bait to get her going, she thought. Lisa shrugged and continued to look at the other dresses as the men returned, wondering what had happened to the women. Figures, said Cal. A pretty dress is always the best flypaper. Lisa looked at Cal, then Sean. And I guess you two were looking for the electronic store, huh? Touche, said Cal. Do you guys want to go in and try something on? Lisa paused for a while. Why not? She said, deciding that it would be nice to try the dress on. All right then, said Cal. Sean and I'll be several stores up. We'll see you too soon, okay? Cal looked at Catherine. She understood. I won't take long, said Lisa. Just 15 minutes. Lisa glanced at Catherine. You don't have to wait with me if you don't want to. No, no, said Catherine immediately, not wanting to blow the opportunity. I would love to see the dress on you. It may just change my mind. She just hoped that Cal and whoever were going to strike would just be done with it. The two walked into the store as the men made their way down the street. The store smelled of potpourri and fresh cotton dresses. Lisa loved the smell. It immediately made her feel at ease. My goodness, said Catherine. It's like walking into a perfume section during a white sale in a department store. She jested, trying to be funny. However, Lisa didn't understand the humor and walked over to the person behind the register. How can I help you too? Said the lovely, middle-aged island woman, glancing at two prospective customers. Hi, um, I would like to try on a dress you have in the window, said Lisa as she pointed to the same flowery sundress. That one. Oh, that's a special dress, said the woman. Catherine rolled her eyes. You've got to be kidding. That's one of the oldest first lines in the book, she thought. Let me see, said the woman, sizing Lisa up. You must be a size six and your friend an eight. I'm not interested, said Catherine flatly. 
The tone in her voice made the woman flinch, but she regained her bubbly attitude and focused on Lisa. You're just in luck. We have one size six left. Follow me. Sean felt better about, well, everything as he and Cal looked at the electronic gadgets in a shop's window. Ever since last night, he truly believed this trip with Lisa was going to be enjoyable as long as she kept Jesus in her pocket. He smiled as he wondered if this trip could be their second honeymoon. Almost like Cal and Catherine's first honeymoon, he thought. He felt a tugging on his arm as Cal pointed to a tobacco shop across the street. They both weren't smokers, but looking at the variety of carved smoking pipes would be interesting. As the two crossed the street, a Jeep Wrangler came barreling out of nowhere right toward them. The dress felt good and was very comfortable, thought Lisa as she trotted on in the changing room. She sighed. Catherine didn't seem interested in the dress and even less interested in their excursion today. As if her mind were somewhere else, but it would be rude not to show her how it looked on her. Lisa sighed again, then walked outside the fitting room. Wow, child, that's one sharp-looking dress on you, if I can say so, said the woman, pushing hard for a sale. Catherine smiled as Lisa approached. It looks good on you, Lisa. It's definitely you. In a few minutes, a flower sundress will be the last thing on your mind. Black would be most appropriate, Catherine thought. Thank you, said Lisa sheepishly. She never handled compliments well. All three women jumped as a loud crash erupted outside the store. They ran outside to see what had happened and saw the backside of a wrangler sticking out of a tobacco store window. People were gathering from all around to see if anyone was hurt. In the distance, someone called out for an ambulance. It was Cal's voice. A chill went down Lisa's spine as she remembered that Sean was with Cal. Before she knew what she was doing, she felt herself moving toward the accident when a strong hand grabbed her arm. You're not going over there with that dress, said the woman with a stern voice. It's not going to get dirty. Catherine slapped the lady's hand away and looked her in the eyes. That could be her husband over there hurt, you idiot. I'll pay for the dress. How much is it? $150, said the woman with a smile, taking advantage of the situation, knowing she had the upper hand in this haggle. What? I didn't see a price on the dress. It can't be that much. As the two argued, Lisa continued walking toward the accident. She felt as though she was moving in slow motion as she approached. Broken glass, twisted metal, and the smell of burning rubber littered the area. There was even blood. Lisa stared hard at the blood on the sidewalk. There was so much of it all over the place. Lord, don't let it be Sean. It was a selfish prayer for her husband, but considering the situation, an understandable one. She pushed through the crowd until she got to the back of the Wrangler. Walking around the store's smashed front entrance, she saw Cal kneeling in front of the vehicle, mumbling something to someone she couldn't see. Someone under. Sean, Sean, she cried out loud. Cal looked up to see Lisa slowly approaching. She was deathly pale, threatening to faint at any moment. Lisa, no. Cal shouted back. Get back. You don't want to see this. It's Sean, isn't it? She screamed. Before Cal could answer, she was kneeling beside him, looking at a bloodied, mangled mass. The man's face was totally disfigured, and blood was slowly running out of a ruptured artery. Every breath looked painful as he made a wheezing sound to force air in and out of his lungs. He didn't have long to live as the sheer weight of the vehicle was slowly crushing him to death. Lisa, please, Cal whispered. 
Lisa looked at Cal and grabbed his shoulder. Cal felt her nails slowly digging into his flesh as he realized the panic in her eyes. A gentle hand on Lisa's back slowly pulled her away from the scene. Come on, you don't need to be here. Lisa quickly looked around to see Sean. She immediately jumped up and hugged him. He was dirty and had several cuts on his face and arms, but he was alive. Lisa started crying uncontrollably as he led her away. As the two walked away, Cal looked back at the driver of the Wrangler. May your death bring you no peace, he whispered to the dying man. The man was pronounced dead once the paramedics arrived. After the local police finished questioning Cal, Catherine led him away from everyone. She desperately wanted to hear what had gone wrong. As Sean was being treated by the paramedics for his scrapes, Lisa too wondered what had happened and asked him. Sean shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. One second Cal and I were walking across the street. The next thing I know I feel Cal pushing me to the floor. When I opened my eyes, I was lying next to the tobacco shop looking at the back of the Wrangler sticking out of the shop. Lisa closed her eyes and softly thanked the Lord. Then she remembered the driver. The driver? Who was he? She asked. I don't know. Sean paused. I feel bad for him. I saw his face, said Lisa. It looked awful. You shouldn't have been there. I thought it was you. I don't want to lose you. Lisa lost control again. Tears streamed down her face as she grabbed her husband, giving him a tight hug. What happened? Catherine asked Cal. Why isn't he dead? Stop badgering me like you're my wife or something. Cal said, angrily clenching his fists. I pushed him in front of the car as I dove out of the way myself. When I got up, he was on the other side of the car, and the car was in the store. There's no way I pushed him that hard, it's not my fault. It was the driver, the driver missed him. They're not gonna pin this on me. Shush, Catherine said, glancing at the Duquesnes. Did Sean say anything about you pushing him? Yeah. He thanked me for saving his life. Cal looked at the ground. I'm a hero. The cruise ship's sending a van to pick us up in a few minutes. He added, trying to change the subject. Well, yippee for you. I'm $130 short, she said sarcastically. I owe him my life. I'll never know how to repay him, Sean said to Lisa. Lisa smiled. Well, you can start by paying for this dress. The van ride back to the cruise ship didn't take long, but felt lengthy to Cal as he listened time after time to Sean's version of the accident. Sean praised him for his quick thinking by pushing him out of the way and, in so many words, called him a hero. Cal told Sean not to thank him anymore, that it was something he would have done for anyone. He was actually more worried about what he was going to tell his contact. Whoever that contact may be, he didn't even know who the contact was. The captain of the ship and several of his subordinates greeted the four as they boarded. He reassured them that something like this rarely happened during a trip and invited them to his table for dinner. As an afterthought, he informed Sean that he had several messages from his mother to call her immediately. Lisa flopped on the bed after taking a long hot shower. Her soiled new dress, already thrown to a corner of the room, was quickly forgotten as she lay on the bed, resting her eyes. They said their cleaners could get any stain out. She said to Sean with her eyes still closed, I hope so. She continued weakly, tired from the events of the day. Sean, having already taken a shower, sat on the other side of the bed, looking at the phone. 
He figured his mother somehow heard about the accident and was nearly frantic about it. How was he going to tell her that everything was okay without her going into one of her hysterical fits, he thought. Taking a deep breath, he fortified himself. I'm calling mom now. He picked up the phone and dialed the number. It was answered on the first ring. Sean, is that you? Hi mom, it's me, Sean. Oh, thank God, you're all right. I was so worried about you. Is Lisa all right? Is she okay? Yeah, everyone's fine. Thank God for hearing my prayers. Mom, I don't know what they told you about the accident, but, um, really it's not that bad. Um, I just have a couple of scratches and a few bruises, but I'm fine. Lisa has a dirty new dress, but she's taking it well. He teased, trying to calm his mother. Lisa chuckled at the joke. Accident. No one told me about an accident. What accident? What happened? Sean paused, shocked at the revelation. You didn't hear. No, what's going on? Then why? Are the kids okay? Yes, we're all fine, Sean. I just had. And Marie paused. Sean didn't need to hear about her dream. He wouldn't understand, but maybe Lisa would. I just had that mother's instinct that something was wrong. I was calling to see if you're all right. I guess I was right. Sean then explained the accident, leaving out how close the car came at hitting him. He downplayed the entire incident, not wanting to freak her out. After a while, the conversation died down, and his mother asked to speak to Lisa. Hi, Mom, said Lisa, turning on her belly and kicking up her legs. Lisa, I hope you'll understand what I'm going to tell you, and please, don't tell Sean he wouldn't understand. I've been praying all morning for you, too. Something evil is out to destroy you. I don't know how deep your faith is, but if it is, you must have sensed or seen something out of the ordinary lately. Lisa glanced at Sean. She felt her heart starting to race as the reality of what she'd seen the other night came to mind. Ah, yeah, I have. And Marie breathed heavily. Lisa, is Sean close by? Yes. Then I'll do all the talking, said Anne-Marie. It's important that you don't tell him what we talked about. He wouldn't understand the fact that there's a spiritual war going on between good and evil. But I do hope everything's going well between you two, that you've straightened everything out. You'll need to be united at this time. Lisa glanced at Sean again. This time he was staring at her, wondering what they were talking about. Yes, Sean and I had a beautiful evening last night. She smiled at her husband. Sean smiled back and pointed to the bathroom. After he made his departure, Lisa continued talking. He just went to the bathroom. I don't like sneaking behind Sean's back. I'm sorry, said Anne-Marie, but tell me what you saw. Lisa explained what happened to her last night in the restaurant. At first I thought that I was just tired, but now you're telling me that some evil force is out to get me and Sean? Why? I mean this is too much to believe. I believe in God, and I know there are things out there that are contrary to my faith, but this, Lisa, God gives us all special abilities and gifts. You obviously have some discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this. What? Lisa, I know this is a little too much to take in all of a sudden, but promise me this. That you'll diligently pray, read your Bible, and trust what you see and sense. Please, let God guide you. I truly believe this car accident was no accident, and that you too are in true danger. Can you promise me that? Dear, yes, yes, of course, she said. Lisa, I know you're hesitant, but pray about what I've told you. Okay. 
and Marie hesitated before continuing. She really hated lying, but Lisa would never truly grasp the severity of the situation. By the way, I'm gonna take the kids for a short trip for three days. And Marie waited nervously for Lisa's response. Anne, what do you mean, short trip? Aren't you supposed to keep the kids there? Lisa, there are things I have to get done. Things I can't mention over the phone. I have. Wait a minute, I'm confused. Everything's jumbled in my head. First of all, I just found out from Sean that I remind him of you when he was growing up. Then I start seeing things. You say that evil is out to get me and Sean and now you're telling me that you're going to take my kids away for a few days? If you were me, what would you think? I don't know what to think. Lisa, I was just thinking about heading to Provincetown for a couple of days. The change in routine for the kids would do them good. Lisa thought for a while. She did trust Anne-Marie, and Provincetown wasn't really that far away. But you said you had to do something, Lisa asked. I work part-time as an antique scout by buying and selling rare antique items, said Anne-Marie. I've heard of some promising items in Provincetown. I'm paid well, so you wouldn't have to worry about paying for the kids. I'm sorry for changing the subject. However, compared to what I mentioned before, this is but a small detour. Too much information in such a short time left Lisa wondering what to say next. What came out her mouth was more of a mechanical response. Um, I have to check with Sean first. After giving his approval for the trip, only after his mother promised to call twice a day, Sean reassured Anne-Marie he was physically fine several times before hanging up. Sheesh, glad that's over. Finally, I can focus on enjoying the rest of the evening with our dinner with the captain and hero of Cal. Lisa put on a fake smile. Putting together the word hero with Cal's name didn't sound right. Five minutes after Anne-Marie hung up with Sean, a black sedan slowly pulled up to the Duquesne residence. Six men with black suits and dark sunglasses approached the front door and rang the doorbell. After waiting for a short time and assuming that no one was going to open the door, the largest of the six forced the door down with one powerful kick. They quickly entered the house and thoroughly searched it. Finding no one inside, the garage was then checked. The car was still there. The largest agent grabbed his cell phone. Target's house is empty, car is still in garage, Request next course of action. Are you sure? She just hung up a few minutes ago. She couldn't have gone far. Positive. There are definitely no secret hiding places here. We performed the typical thermal scans of the place, and there's no evidence of human presence or recent residual heat signatures. This place has been empty for quite some time, sir. A long pause. Okay, we'll perform a one-block house-by-house investigation and ask the neighbors about the residents of the house. We'll also need to set up a five-mile search radius for the three. Yes, sir. We'll get on it ASAP. Time is of the essence. Cal waited patiently in the captain's office, which was elegantly simple. Walnut-stained shelves and desks dominated the area, while black Corinthian leather chairs were strategically placed facing the main desk. A variety of nautical items on the walls while directly behind the desk was an original cell from the movie 20,000 Leads Under the Sea. The cell was a close-up of Captain Nemo looking intently at something far off. It had been several hours without any sign from his contact, and here Cal sat waiting for the cruise ship's captain to congratulate him. Cal decided to downplay his so-called heroic actions by refusing any reward, acknowledgement, or commendation awarded him.
This had been the worst day of his life, and the quicker he could put it behind him the better. The captain surprised Cal as he walked into the room. He sat in his chair behind the desk, rubbed his forehead, and then stared at Cal. The captain was a large, heavyset man who seemed to enjoy his position and ease of life. He seemed to be a peculiar person who detested anything being out of place. Cal reasoned that the event of one of his passengers nearly dying on his watch disturbed him greatly. Mr. Cal Beckman, the captain said, breaking the silence. My name is Captain Sullivan Trent, and I've been in charge of this cruise ship for, oh, around 10 years now. I have never in my years had, well, almost had someone die on my routes. It has come to my attention that this string of good fortune was supposed to end today, but was foiled by your stupidity. Excuse me, Cal responded, shocked at the statement. Mr. Beckman, have you ever heard of a sleeper? It's a person who's placed in a position until he's needed at a particular time to perform a needed function. I'm a sleeper, Mr. Beckman, and it's my misfortune to have to be your contact in this matter. It was all supposed to be simple and precise, but now I have to report how you mess up something as simple as a gentle push into an oncoming vehicle," shouted the captain. You're my contact, Cal said in disbelief. The captain jumped up from his chair, his six-foot-five massive frame dwarfing Cal. Look, I don't like being wakened. I don't like being placed into a situation that should have been already handled. I don't like inefficiencies under my watch and want this matter resolved immediately. Now, tell me what happened," he shouted, spitting strands of saliva at Cal. Cal quickly explained what had happened during the accident, stressing the fact that all he did was push Sean onto the oncoming Wrangler and didn't push him hard enough to avoid it. Of course, his excuse seemed lame, but what else could he say? After he finished, the captain slowly shook his head. One of our assassins, posing as a waiter, told me that the Duquesne woman seemed a little out of it when he tried to give them a poison drink. Well, it's been clearly stated that the woman may be a hard target, but we didn't think that it might spill over to her husband. I guess we're wrong. You may or may not have pushed Sean Duquesne too hard, but my gut says that we may have to consider him as hard as his wife. What do you think? Sir, me and Catherine aren't properly trained for this kind of mission. I suggest bringing in professionals. If these two are that hard to kill, then bring in the big guns." The captain nodded. I agree, however, this could get very messy if they're called. The loss of life could be high. Yes, but the objective would be met, said Cal. The captain rubbed his chin. I'll let you know what my superiors decide. In the meantime, I suggest you get ready for your hero's dinner. I expect you and your so-called wife on time. So, let's get this straight said the large FBI agent named Brown to one of his subordinates. The nosy old lady across the street said that she saw the grandmother and two children leave the house early this morning. They were lugging several large tote bags as a livery limousine pulled up to the house, and she just happened to write down the license plate number. The two sat in one of the black sedans in front of the Duquesne residence as every once in a while a neighborhood kid would try to peek through the heavily tinted windows. Brown continued. She also said she saw the grandmother make a call on her cell phone as they drove away. Second, we now know that before she left she had the house phone number forwarded to her cell phone, so that all phone calls would go directly to her. The subordinate nodded with a smile. What's so funny? shouted Agent Brown. Um, well for an old lady, she sure thinks far ahead of time. She's not stupid.
Agent Brown nodded. Yeah, but what tipped her off? How did she know we were coming? He shook his head. Anyway, we have records of her phone, calls to her son and pinpointed where she made each call. How? asked the subordinate. Cell phones, when left on, can be tracked. They emit a signal in order to keep a constant connection, but we found the phone promptly discarded on a street in the middle of nowhere. We figured that it was dumped after she made connection with her son. So, now, we don't know where she is? Correct, said Agent Brown. So, what do we do now? asked the subordinate. We wait. She'll show up sooner or later. With the technology at our disposal today, it's nearly impossible for anyone to disappear like Jean-Claude Bonnet. Like who? Brush up on your history. Oh, forget it. Anyway, we send her description and other information to all of our contacts. There's no way she's going to pull a Jean-Claude, said Agent Brown again. You think she's going to Provincetown? Agent Brown rubbed his chin and looked out the window. After a couple of seconds, he quickly turned and grabbed his subordinate by the windpipe. I don't know how you got this far, but if I ever see you on my team again, I'll kill you personally," he said slowly and deliberately. He released the man and smiled as he watched him gasp desperately for air. And Marie Duquesne is a woman of great insight that disturbs some of our highest associates. The fact that she's eluded us this long with two brats is, well, amazing. It's a shame she's on the other side. She would have made a fantastic agent the total opposite of you. Now get out of here. Report back and get reassigned. The sight of you makes me sick." The subordinate fumbled with the doorknob and quickly left the car. Do you think she's going to Provincetown? Agent Brown mumbled. What an idiot. If she was that paranoid, why would she say where she's going over the phone? The dinner was fabulous and the dessert even better. The cruise ship wasn't holding back for the guests at the captain's table. As everyone sipped their coffee, tea, or espresso, the captain asked Catherine a shocking question. Mrs. Beckman, I hope you don't take this question the wrong way, but I'm rather shocked that you didn't rush to the accident like Mrs. Duquesne did. You had no idea that your husband was involved, but yet you stayed with a store attendant haggling over the price of a dress. I find that rather, well, off. Cal stiffened while Catherine nearly gagged on her tea. Captain Trent smiled and continued. I'm sorry for being so forward, but I've learned in my life that it's best to be honest and ask questions, rather than filling in the blanks yourself." Catherine cleared her throat and wondered what the captain was up to by asking this question. They were in close with the Duquesnes. Surely he didn't want to jeopardize that. I know, said Catherine. I wondered why myself. I guess the possibility of Cal being in danger never entered my mind. I don't know. Maybe deep inside I never thought anything could happen to him. My primary concern was to get that horrid woman off my back so I could catch up with Lisa. The captain looked at Lisa. I hope our laundry crew won't disappoint you when they're finished with your dress, he said, trying to draw her into the conversation. Looking at the woman, the captain wondered how someone so frail could cause them so many problems. Lisa nodded in response to the statement. She didn't join in most of the conversation, since her mind was obviously somewhere else. For the duration of the dinner, she replayed over and over in her mind her conversation with Aunt Marie. Lisa felt as though this was a cruel dream transpiring before her, as she kept repeating in her mind that no weapon formed against her would prosper, bringing no comfort. 
She then prayed silently in her mind that God would give her the strength and wisdom to handle any situation Anne-Marie had warned may come. Being confused over just about everything, she wondered if Anne-Marie lied about everything. But then again, why would Anne-Marie lie? She seemed anxious enough to warn her and generally worried about their well-being. Was she ready? Was she strong enough in God to handle what may be coming their way? Lisa was pondering these questions when she felt a nudge on her shoulder. It was Sean, trying to get her attention. Are you all right? He whispered. She nodded. She wished she could tell him everything, but throwing all of this in his face at once would be too much to handle. I'm just a little tired, she said. Excuse me, Mr. and Mrs. Duquesne, said a waiter interrupting the dinner. You have a call in the lobby. Lisa's eyes widened as she realized who could be calling them. She leaned over to her husband and whispered in his ear. Sean, it's probably your mother. I'll take it. I want to talk to the children. Sean nodded. It would be rude for both for them to leave. He'd take the next future call from Anne-Marie. Lisa quickly stood up, excused herself, and casually walked to where the phones were. When she picked up the phone, she quickly looked around to see if anyone was watching. Hello. Who's this? Asked the voice on the phone. Lisa Duquesne, who's this? How do I know it's really Lisa Duquesne? You could be someone trying to be her. Lisa paused. Anne, is that you? What's wrong? Why are you talking like that? Um, said Anne-Marie. If you're Lisa, then tell me the desire of your heart. My what? Then it hit Lisa. Anne-Marie was being cautious. Something must be wrong. I have many desires, but I guess right now the most important one is my husband's salvation. Lisa heard a sigh on the phone. Hi, Lisa. Everything's fine, and I'm all right. I'm just pulling your leg. Let me know if this phone call is clear. It's important that our company be careful of what purchases we make. Yeah, I hear you fine. We're eating at the captain's table, and Sean's letting everyone know how Cal saved his life, and they're just eating it up. It's becoming sickening, said Lisa. Yeah, we know why he's still talking. Lisa cocked her head. That didn't make sense. Anne-Marie was talking weird as if someone was right there listening. Are the kids fine? She asked. Yeah. Are they with you? That's a good question I'd normally answer, but right now, I'm only testing it. What? Asked Lisa. What are you talking about? Anne-Marie sighed. Listen. Sometimes what you say can be received by many. She paused. Understand? Lisa's eyes widened as she slowly looked around her. Yes. I see no one. Received, my dear. The phone. Lisa closed her eyes. And this is becoming a little too much for me to believe. You're telling me that, Lisa. Just do what I told you to do before, that's all. Wait, what did you just say? Asked Anne-Marie. Speak up, I can't hear you. And, wait, I can still hear you. You're breaking up. I can't believe this. The deal's off. Click. Lisa looked at the phone. And Marie was gone. Lisa put her hand on her forehead. Lord, I'm so confused, she mumbled. And Marie looked at her watch as she handed the phone back to the supervisor of the communications store. Sorry, the service you provide doesn't interest me. There must be another company that can give me what I want. The supervisor looked at the phone, confused. It was a satellite phone. There was no better service on the face of the planet. He had to investigate this further. There was no way he was going to tell the regional manager about his five-figure loss. He watched the woman leave and cursed under his breath. 
there went his commission. One hour later, he sat in his office answering a multitude of questions from several FBI agents. Did the woman give you her name? Was she alone? Did she have any children with her? Did she get into a car when she left? If she did, what did it look like? The supervisor shook his head every time. It's like I told you before. The lady comes in here flashing a business card saying that she's a president of a major corporation looking to upgrade her East Coast sales force with the latest in satellite communications. The supervisor raised his hands in defeat. What should I do? She looked legit. Agent Brown looked at the entrance to the store. From where they stood, Anne Marie could have parked anywhere close to the store. The man would have never seen if she drove off or not. Again, Mr. Owens said Agent Brown to the supervisor. Was there any evidence of children being with her? No, as I said before, any odors of candy, asked Agent Brown. What? I don't know. Listen, I don't go around smelling people, he said. I see, said Agent Brown, rubbing his chin. One more time, Mr. Owens, what did she look like? Mr. Owens sighed out loud. The night was a total bust since the FBI closed the doors to the store. It was going to be a long day tomorrow explaining to the regional manager what had happened. She looked at least 50-something, she was dressed in a blue pinstripe suit, her hair was blonde, and she was probably five foot four. He said with arms across his chest, indicating he was done answering questions. I see, said Agent Brown, pulling out a picture from his inner jacket pocket. Did she look something like this? He handed a picture of Anne Marie to Mr. Owens. The supervisor looked at the picture. It looked like the woman, however. She had gray hair and looked at least 70-something. Is this her sister? He asked the FBI agent. Agent Brown smiled. No, Mr. Owens. She's the only surviving relative. All of her siblings are dead. She has one son, a daughter-in-law, and two grandchildren. He leaned closer to the supervisor. Now, Mr. Owens, how could someone this old look 20 years younger? Are you sure you remember what she looked like? Closing his eyes, the supervisor tried to visualize what the woman looked like again. He nodded and opened his eyes. I'm sure, he said. Agent Brown leaned back, obviously upset. Then, do you want to tell me why a woman wanted by the FBI in Massachusetts ends up in your store in Norwich, Connecticut, negotiating a very expensive service contract? Look, man, that's your job, not mine. How was I supposed to know who she was? I mean, look, I'm telling you everything I know. What you do with it? Mr. Owens lifted his hands. I could care less. Well, said Agent Brown, maintaining his composure. I'm sorry to have taken too much of your precious time. Here's my card, just in case you remember anything else. Thank you. Agent Brown turned around and left the store before Mr. Owens could respond. Once outside, he walked, distancing himself from the other agents, and entered his car around the corner. He then picked up a phone and dialed an all-too-familiar number and started talking. He knows nothing. No. She could be anywhere now. Yeah. She seemed to have changed the way she looks. That's right. Twenty years younger, and she seemed to have dumped the kids somewhere. Agent Brown looked behind him. No. The others have no idea. They think she's a recently identified terrorist sleeper. Yeah, right. I'll have our own silence, Mr. Owens, once the agents leave. Yes, yes, I agree. No one needs to know our business. Agent Brown listened carefully as the voice on the other end cruelly rebuked him. 
Yes, sir. We'll definitely be a lot quicker in our response the next time. The dream was different from any she could remember. It was though she couldn't distinguish between her thoughts and the voice of someone else. She dreamed of peace, of that sweet cup of delectable nectar that fills my soul with such joy. Where once I walked with fear and crawled with uncommon repose, now I walk with unbridled splendor. The morning sun, which rises in the dawn, shines forth its beams of warmth, stirring my being. I long for the touch of its rays, its substance, and its companionship. Riding the winds of an untamed gale, never knowing which direction the tempest will deposit its passenger, yet I am rooted deep into a rock, I will not move. The darkness labors to swallow me whole, desires my death and my destruction. My mind races as it fights to remember what I once was but recalls that it does not matter any longer. But wait, why am I so important to want to be destroyed? If only I could hold on to any significant meaning that would help me understand my predicament. That shapeless entity, darkness, has invaded my space and tries to enter my mind and contaminate me. As I feel the fear beginning to crush me, the peace rushes in to sustain me. I am stronger than I realize. The light that shines in me makes me mighty indeed to crush the fear and dispel the darkness. Lisa woke up abruptly. Sweat fell from her face in streams. Her blouse was soaked, yet she was extremely cold. She looked at Sean. Sometimes she hated how he could just sleep through anything. She quietly got out of bed, grabbed an extra set of pajamas, and walked to the bathroom. Closing the door behind her, she sat on top of the toilet seat lid and took a deep breath. She recalled the words that she heard in her dream and wondered what it was about. She could have easily said it was her fears about what Anne-Marie told her, but it went deeper than that. Inexplicably, she didn't feel as fearful as she had before she went to bed. The dread she felt during the dinner at the captain's table and Sean's near-fatal accident no longer gripped her. An inner strength seemed to awake within her, a fire refusing to succumb to the recent events surrounding her. No longer did she fear for her children. She just knew they were fine and being taken care of. After removing the wet blouse and putting on pajamas, Lisa recalled the last few words from her dream, crush the fear and dispel the darkness. She definitely no longer felt fear, but dispel what darkness. Smiling, she looked at the toilet and shook her head. The only time she knelt before, that thing was during her pregnancies. The tub would have to do. This was something she had to do in privacy. She didn't want to take the chance of Sean waking up, even though she doubted he would. Kneeling before the tub, she folded her hands and started praying inwardly. Lord, I know this is a weird place to pray, but well, I need your guidance right now. I want to thank you for your sweet spirit of peace, but I'm confused about the darkness that must be destroyed. I mean, so many weird things have happened to me during these few days. I've seen things and felt uncomfortable about much more. Is it because you're showing me these things that I should do something about it? Or do you just want me to be aware of it? I remember seeing that strange look on the waiter's face. Was that the darkness? I mean, was that part of the... Oh Lord, I don't know what to do. Lisa wrapped her hands around her head and stayed in that position, not knowing what else to think. She closed her eyes and immediately saw the faces of Catherine and Cal. Lisa opened her eyes. Now, why was she thinking about them again? She took a deep breath and tried to focus on praying. Closing her eyes, she began again. 
Lord, I know it says in the Bible that you bless your children with the spirit of discernment, but I have seen many weird things. I don't know what they mean. Well, Anne Marie said I may have this discerning gift, but how good is a gift if you don't know what it's telling you? Yes, I saw a dark shadow over the face of a waiter. So what? My eyes could have been playing tricks on me. Maybe I was tired. Lord, I, I thank you for the peace you've given me, but I feel as though I must know more about this darkness. Catherine, Cal, the waiter, and Captain Trent appeared in her mind's eye. Lisa opened her eyes and shivered. It couldn't be, she said softly. Lord, what? Are you sure? What do they want? It can't be true, can it? Anne-Marie said that evil is focusing on us, and it may have something to do with her father's old journals. Realizing that she was able to get answers quickly when she closed her eyes, she did so again, but this time mumbled out loud. If these people are up to something, what do they want? Lisa recalled the car accident and the dread she felt when she thought Sean was underneath it. Her eyes opened quickly. They want to kill my Sean, she said. Lisa stood up and paced the small bathroom while biting her lip. A few minutes passed before she spoke again. Lord, they can't have my husband, but what can I do? Please help me. 